the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Brendis blunders during the course of his life. We have been learning from both his successes and his failures. In our last class, we began to consider his failure as a father, and it was a spectacular failure. As we saw last time, David did not control his children, and today we will see what we can learn from David's failure to be consistent with them. Open your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 13. Here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. So David's firstborn was a rapist. No gentle way to to put it. He was a rapist. But how did David deal with this sin, this horrible sin of a son forcing himself upon a daughter? We read in verse 21. Now, when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. David was outraged. He was outraged as well. He should have been. But there is no record, no record that he took any steps to punish Amnon. Why? Why is that? No record that he ever did anything about it. He was just upset. Big deal. I want to suggest to you that David would have a hard time addressing the sin of lust and fornication because he had been guilty of this very same sin. Not of raping anyone, but certainly a sexual problem. I want to suggest to you how difficult it would have been for David to to say anything to Amnon when David had a known problem in this area himself. It's pretty tough for David to get down on Amnon about this when everybody knew about his lust with Bathsheba and all of his wives and concubines. I don't think the guy would have had a whole lot of credibility. Oh yeah, Dad, I suppose you're upset with me, but how about all the wives you have? What kind of an example did David set? Horrible example. Was Amnon responsible for his own sin? Yeah, David didn't make him a rapist. But David set a poor example in the sexual realm for his son. And what we learn from this, uh, and it's so helpful for fathers and parents in general to understand that sons and daughters look to their parents to set an example for them. Oftentimes, what you are, they will become. And yet they're responsible for their own actions. This is true not only in the family, it's true in all leadership. Certainly true in the church, that's why elders are to be above reproach. But it is especially true in the home, because we are so close, certainly in physical proximity to one another. Your strengths and your weaknesses will generally show up in your children's behavior. And let me illustrate this. Remember the story of Abraham, that great man of faith, had a problem with lying. Kind of sounds like it doesn't fit, but, but it's true. Abraham, a number of times, in fact, two times, Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Why did he say that? Because he was afraid that when they looked upon her and she was a, a beautiful woman, they would say, get rid of this guy, kill him. We get rid of him, we'll marry her. Or this man would say, well, I'll, I'll take her for my wife. And so twice we know of Abraham saying to Sarah, tell them that you're my sister. And what happened? Isaac did the very same thing with 
his wife, Rebecca. It's all in Genesis. Why? Like father, like son. Where did he pick that up? Where did he learn about little, little scheming here, a little conniving? You know, there was a technicality in which Abraham was, was right. She was his half-sister, but it was deceitful, and it was wrong. Like father, like son. If you want the testimony of, uh, of, of a good testimony, I should say, before your children, then you have to follow Jesus Christ. You have to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I know there are exceptions. Sometimes uh, kids follow the Lord and their parents didn't, and sometimes it's the opposite way and, and so forth. But generally speaking, your testimony has a profound impact upon your children. Now, that doesn't mean that if you live a godly life for Jesus Christ, that that's a guarantee that your children are also. But your testimony affects them deeply. Otherwise, you have, and this is the key word, no credibility. No credibility. And credibility is what David lost. Was he forgiven of his sin? Yes. Did he have fellowship with God? Yes. Did he lose his credibility? Yes. Lost his credibility. You could never get that back. His reputation was marred. The consequences of his sin. I want you to keep your place, if you will, at 2 Samuel, but turn to Genesis chapter 13. Let me, let me illustrate about a man who had no credibility. No credibility. In Genesis 13, we read the story of uh, Abraham's nephew by the name of Lot, L-O-T, Lot. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 5, read about Lot. Now, Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, not between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. It's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I'll go to the right. If to the right, then I'll go to the left. What a, what a gracious gentleman Abraham was. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan that was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zohar. Let me stop there. Say, so for those of you who have been to Israel... Um, we believe, and those of you who haven't, I'll say this too, we believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were by the Dead Sea, not far from, from Masada. And uh, you remember, if you know anything about geography, that that area is pretty barren. I mean, there's nothing growing around there, very little. It's, it's just a barren area. What this verse is saying is that at one time it was a very plush area. What you see now means that it was destroyed by God. We don't even know exactly where the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were because they were so devastatingly, devastatingly destroyed. But let's go back, verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Then they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Now Lot made a choice. And he chose to go to a place that was plush and, uh, and a lot of greenery and very, very nice. He made a business decision based solely on money and the potential for, for profit. It had nothing to do with the Lord. 
Nothing to do with submitting to Uncle Abram. This was a guy who said, I'll go here because it's better than over here. And Lot made that business decision. Now, eventually, Lot became a leader in the uh, community of, of Sodom. We know that because in Genesis 19, and you can turn there as the story continues, in Genesis 19, we read in verse 1, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the, in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate at Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. The reason I say he became a leader in the community is being at the city gate meant that he was a community leader. The community leaders would hang around at the city gate. That was like city hall. Now, here was a man who was a compromiser. How could you not compromise and live in Sodom and Gomorrah? What a wicked place filled with homosexual behavior. He was a compromiser, a man who put business above family. And notice what happened in verse 12. And the meds, men said to Lot, whom else have you have here? Remember, they're, they're saying we're gonna, God's going to destroy the city. Get out with your family. So they say, who else do you have here? He says, a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place for we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who, who were to marry his daughters and said, up. Oh, Get out of this place where the Lord will destroy it. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Wow. They thought the guy was kidding. I don't know how, you know, his tone of voice must not have been a funny kind of tone of voice. It had to be that his son, sons-in-law had never heard him talk about spiritual things. Yeah, right. You're interested in spiritual things. We know what kind of a person you are. We're at your home and... We don't hear you talk about spiritual things. We know that, that money and compromise is the only thing you know. They thought he was kidding. Why? Because the man had no credibility. In fact, if Second Peter did not tell us he was a righteous man, meaning he was a believer, he certainly wasn't always righteous in his behavior. If Second Peter didn't tell us Lot was a righteous man, nobody would ever guess it. Nobody would ever guess it. He had no credibility. I wonder what kind of credibility you have with your children. What kind of credibility do you have spiritually? You cannot live inconsistent with Scripture and expect your children to be godly and obedient. They might be, but it's only by the grace of God. You can't expect that. What you are, generally, they will become. And what weak areas you have in your life, you'll have a very hard time dealing with them in those areas because they will reflect you. As I said before, and I'll say it again, it would have been pretty hard for David to say to Amnon's son, that was detestable. That was the most disgusting thing I have ever seen. Well, Dad, don't you have a problem in this area? What about you and Bathsheba? How many wives do you have now? How many concubines do you have? No, I think that's why David kept quiet. He was shamed into that. He was outraged, but he couldn't do anything about it. You want to make sure you're consistent. You want to make sure there's no area in your life that you can't deal with your children on because if you did it, you would be a hypocrite. Deal with that. Deal with that. Be an example. And where you've blown it, and who hasn't blown it? Where you've blown it, don't only confess it to God. Go to your children. Ask them to forgive you for being a poor example. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how many years they've been out of the home. If you blew it 40 years ago, you go to them and, and ask them to forgive you. David repented. He made things right between himself and the Lord. But what about his children to the third and fourth generation? 
David's failure to live a pure sexual life influenced Amnon's rape of his half-sister, even though the young man was fully responsible for his own sin. I want you to understand that. To be a good example, you need to learn from this, not just feel shamed, but do something about it. Secondly, David's failure is not only seen in Amnon's rape, it's seen in Absalom's rebellion. We now turn to another son, because uh, Tamar's full brother was Absalom, and it was Absalom who planned to get even with Amnon for raping his sister. Notice chapter 13 continues, verse 22. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in uh, Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons, and Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, now your servant has uh, sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servants. So he invites them all together. He wants them to have a little little, uh, uh, wool shearing festival with him. And um, notice what happens, verse 25. The king says to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. So, jump down to verse 28. And Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, when Absalom's heart is merry with wine... And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear, for, uh, for uh, have not I myself commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons rose and each mounted his mule and fled. And that is exactly what happened. Absalom had planned for two years to get even with Amnon. And he made sure he was killed. He murdered him. He murdered him. And then it says, we don't need to read, it says that Absalom fled. He, he fled, obviously. He, uh, you know, murder the king's son and then come back and say, I just killed your boy. He, he fled and he went to the northern area of Israel, the Galilee area. And uh, it says in verse 39 of this same chapter, verse 39, you should see this. This is important. And the heart of King David longed... Well, let's look at verse 38. You should see verse 38, uh, and it's helpful. So Absalom had fled and gone to Geshur and was there three years. So he, he had left Jerusalem. He was in the northern part by the Sea of Galilee for three years. And the heart of King David longed to go out to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon since he was dead. What this is saying, in other words, he had gotten over Amnon's death. He was okay, he had grieved, and now he wanted to see Absalom again. It's been three years, he loves his son, even though he did this, and uh, he would like to see him uh, again. And so, uh, through a series of events, Absalom comes back to Jerusalem. Uh, Joab, his general, requests that David bring the young man back, and he sends word, come back to Jerusalem. But notice what happens as we turn to chapter 14, Verse 21, then the king said to Joab, behold, I will surely do this thing. Go, therefore, bring back the young man, Absalom. Verse 23, so Joab arose, went to Geshur, and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. However, and that's a big however in verse 24, the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house and did not see the king's face. And then we move to verse 28. Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and he did not see the king's face. 
It may be a story to us, a true story, but it was a cruel thing to do to his son. This was a horrible thing that David did. Cruel. He allowed his son to return, but he refused to forgive him, refused to have fellowship with him, refused to interact and communicate with him for you know how many years? Five years. Three years he was in Galilee and two years he's in Jerusalem and they haven't spoken or seen each other for five years. Horrible, horrible. Now what do you think that kind of treatment breeds? It breeds rebellion. It breeds resentment. It breeds an open attitude of rebellion and that is exactly what happened because the, the text goes on to say in chapter 14 then Ab, that Absalom rebelled against David. What he would do, and I won't read it, I'll just tell you. What he would do is he would go to the city gate, and whenever people would come to make complaints of the king, he'd say, what are you here for? And they'd say, well, this, this is an injustice, and it hasn't been taken care of. And you know what he would say to them? And you can read it for yourself in chapter 14. He would say to them, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's an injustice. If I were king, I'd take care of that. I would be on your side. And the Bible says that eventually he stole the heart's of the people from David. You see, he was uh, like a politician today, out shaking everybody's hand, kissing babies, winning them all over. And yes, I'm for it, making, making campaign promises. If I'm the king, this stuff wouldn't go on. And so he stole the hearts of the people. He undermined David. He put questions in the people's minds about their king. And eventually Absalom rebelled and he tried to overthrow David as king. And it's a very sad uh, scene uh, which we won't really study now, but it's a very sad scene in which David and his entourage leaves Jerusalem and goes down the Kidron Valley and over the Mount of Olives and, and barefoot, and uh, the king is in exile. King is in exile. Maybe, maybe intentionally a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is also in some respects a king in exile as well right now because the world has rejected him. Now, where did David fail as a father with Absalom? Well, for one thing, and I think this is uh, just one aspect, David had tried to solve his problem by murder as well. He murdered Uriah. What an example. Absalom has a real problem with Amnon. So he goes and murders him. Like that's going to solve the problem. That's one area in which David failed as an example. But secondly, and I think most importantly, where David failed was that he refused to fully forgive his son. And it led to Absalom being frustrated, it led to him being exasperated, and it bred open rebellion and resentment and a, and a horrible attitude. His resentment had been building for years, years and years. And the New Testament specifically addresses this whole issue of a parent's, uh, and, and specifically a father's relationship with a child. Notice, and I'll, I'll turn to it in Ephesians Chapter 6, you don't need to turn there unless you can get there very quickly. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke your children to anger. In other words, don't do anything that's going to frustrate them. They may be annoyed at you because they don't get their own way, but he's not talking about that. He's talking about a resentful spirit. He's frustrated. He's provoked to, a, to a, 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 an ongoing simmering of anger. An angry young man. And there are many like this, an angry young woman because the fathers have, have exasperated them. And there's all kinds of ways you can exasperate a child. Being overly critical, being overly strict, being overly lenient. 
not communicating, favoritism, all, all kinds of things, all, all kinds of things. Colossians, which is a parallel passage on this, Colossians 3, verse 21, says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Don't frustrate them, because what happens, the end result is they lose heart. It's, uh, you could translate it, don't take the, the wind out of their sails. So that they have, you've broken their spirit. You've broken their spirit, exasperated. Attitude-wise, Absalom was just that. He was an exasperated, frustrated young man. And this could have been so easily avoided. So easily avoided. How? By doing what the father of the prodigal son did. Remember the story in the New Testament? It says, but while he was still a long way off, his son's returning now. He's, he's lived a horrible life, but he's coming home. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and his father felt compassion for him. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. What a marvelous picture of grace and forgiveness and mercy. Son, you're home. You were dead, but now you're back. David could have done that, should have done that. You see, David had experienced God's full forgiveness. In Psalm 32, he speaks of the joys of being finally forgiven. After a year of not confessing it, David knew what it was like to be forgiven. Ephesians chapter 4 says that we are to forgive in, as we've been forgiven in Christ. Forgiveness means fellowship, not only with God, but when you forgive another person, you're restored. There's no such thing as I've forgiven, but I can't stand being with that person, Then you have not forgiven. Forgiveness in the Bible means reconciliation. It means you can sit together in church and take communion and not feel resentment to the person next to you. It means you can sit together in church whether you take communion or not and not feel resentment. It means you can be in a Bible study with that person. It means that you, if, if you've really forgiven them, that you will be together with them. That if you see them in the mall, you won't want to turn the other way. Forgiveness means fellowship. David understood that. Did he not have full fellowship with God? Yes, but he refused it from his son. And he lived to regret this. He lived to regret this. Let me, let me just say, fathers, mothers, let your children know that you unconditionally love them. doesn't mean that you approve of everything they do. That you've forgiven them for their sins. That, you, that, that they have your approval. That's so important. Encourage them. Praise them. Don't only criticize them. Don't be the kind of parent that when they come home with a 96 on their paper, you say, how come you didn't get higher? Don't do that. Don't be the parent who says... When they've, they've gotten uh, so many good grades, have gotten B's, how come you didn't get all A's? Now, they may be capable of that, and there's a place to encourage them to do the best they can, but don't always be criticizing them. David never spoke for five years to his son. And you know what? He loved his son. He really loved him, but he never initiated communication, and he lived to regret it. One of the most profound sadnesses that anyone ever experienced was probably that of David when he learned that his son was dead and David had not forgiven him. We will read about that unhappy chapter in David's life on the next Verse by Verse. We're glad you could join us today for another Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff. These radio adaptations of his practical messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of our listeners. To hear today's class again, stop in at our website, versebyverseradio.org. While you are there, 
maybe you would like to sign up for our free podcasting service. That's versebyverseradio.org. Please join us for the next Verse by Verse and Part 3 of this lesson in fatherhood from the life of King David. I'm Jerry Pruden. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Hey, this is Bill Carl. You know, one of the things that I do kind of miss uh, is uh, trips to the movie theaters. We didn't go a lot, uh, but Missy and I occasionally like to go and get that big bowl of buttered popcorn and enjoy a movie. Well, now you can enjoy movies at home uh, with your family at SalemNow.com. Streaming movies uh, like The Return to the Hiding Place, which is an expansion on the true story of Corey Ten Boom and how she and students helped save Jewish folks during World War II. Check out that title and others at SalemNow.com. The next time you could use a pick-me-up, head over to Godvine.com for uplifting and inspirational videos that you'll truly love. Join the millions of Christians from around the world who watch and share Godvine videos each day. They know that Godvine videos are specially chosen to bring joy and share the love of God and the wonder of His creations. For the very best Christian videos, visit us today at Godvine.com. Listen to Faith Talk weekday mornings at three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.